Let us pray. Open our hearts, O oh God, to hear from you and to leave him here more enthused and inspired about our fellowship with you. Amen. Good morning, Memorial Church. It is indeed a pleasure to worship with you this morning and to see so many friends and family here today. On the second Sunday of Advent, as we pre prepare to celebrate the Lord's birth, I thought it appropriate to invite you into a conversation that I have been having with the Lord over the past couple of years on a subject that many of you great champions of the faith have mastered, and yet a subject that the remainder of us might still struggle with, and that subject is prayer. We may pray, we may even publicly lead prayers, but in the deep recesses of our mind, we still wonder the unspeakable. What is the efficacy of prayer? Such a subject is particularly striking when you're trying to change what one might call big ticket items, when you're trying to effect systemic change. This is not the Lord help me find a parking spot prayer, but more like, Lord, help me to use my life to transform the world. And so I thought it salient to ask and try to have a public reckoning on the subject, what to an activist is prayer? The past year has seen our community and much of the world turned upside down or rather right side up by protest of varying sorts. Most acute to our experience in the US have been the campaigns for justice mapped out on the grounds of the State House in North Carolina through the Moral Mondays campaigns, the protest organized in Ferguson, New York, Chicago, and other US cities over the deaths of unarmed black men, and most recently, the campus protests that have disrupted the norm at institutions like Mizzou and Princeton, Claremont, McKenna, and Yale. Strikingly, what went missing from much of the media discussion of student protests was the faith component. I have a minister friend whose son attends Mizzou, and he talked about being at the University of Wisconsin with Christian student groups who helped lead prayer before a solidarity march for Mizzou. 6,000 people showed up. And a student of mine from Missouri talked about the Facebook post of Jonathan Butler. On day five of his hunger strike, he posted, quote, <clears throat> remember that it's not about me, it's about justice. Then he left his page with a scripture for the day from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, 
in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The work for Butler and many of the ministers and students who gathered in solidarity was indeed a work of faith. And yet Butler's attention to prayer and faith is not new for those who engage in attempts to change the world. Two summers ago, I had an opportunity to witness firsthand the Moral Mondays campaigns in North Carolina. At the meetings before the march, during the march, and afterwards, they prayed, they sang, and they believed for change. And yet we do not have to go conveniently to North Carolina or to college campuses across the country to find prayer and activism when we can look through the annals of history. To the civil rights movement and to the work of women like Fannie Lou Hamer. Or pay attention to the story told by Martin Luther King and his work, Why We Can't Wait, of the commitment cards that were signed by every day participants. Commitment number one, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Commitment number two, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. We can look at the lives of leaders like Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Mother Teresa or Dorothy Day and we witness their lives of prayer and faith. But what to an activist is prayer. What does prayer do for someone who simply wants to make her community better? What indeed does prayer accomplish? Skeptics bemoan its efficacy. Critics lambast its seeming passivity. And those of little faith wonder about its transformative power. Is not prayer simply a way of escaping reality? Or a feeble attempt at turning inward when larger social systems seem set? Doesn't faith make one content with the situation as is? Isn't it simply a way of avoiding the hard work? One of my favorite poems was penned in 1942 by the great poet and novelist Margaret Walker. In it, she disquietingly indicts the proclivities towards prayer of black migrants trapped in the throes of poverty, dilapidated housing, and low-paying jobs. She writes, for my people everywhere, singing their slave songs repeatedly, their dirges and their ditties and their blues and jubilees, praying their prayers nightly to an unknown God bending their knees humbly to an unseen power. In Walker's words, these people who are, quote, lending their strength to the years, to the gone years and the now years and the maybe years, washing, ironing, cooking, scrubbing, sewing, mending, hoeing, plowing, digging, planting, pruning, patching, dragging along, never gaining, never reaping, never knowing, and never understanding. In their prayers, they engage for Walker in an exercise in futility. Prayer to an unknown God, prayer to an unseen power, she suggests, changes little. And yet it is to prayer that Jesus himself turns as he faces the greatest challenge of his life. 
It is to prayer that Jesus surrenders. The revolutionary of all revolutionaries, turning centuries of doctrine on its head by professing that he is the long-awaited Christ, insisting that the law is no longer sufficient but grace, the one who fellowshiped with sinners and welcomed women into his inner ministry circle. This revolutionary, found in Gethsemane before he is captured and nailed to a cross, doesn't call upon a thousand angels to rescue him. He doesn't call upon a mighty army of military men to deliver him. He doesn't organize his disciples to provide a shield for his protection. Indeed, he retreats, the scriptures tell us, to pray. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And what did he pray? My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. And to what avail? Skeptics say, well, the soldiers came and crucified him anyway, a seemingly callous end to an earnest prayer. It is the type of ending to a prayer that makes us wonder. King David prayed earnestly that his son would not die, and he died anyway. Sometimes we pray, and the marriage still ends. We pray, and we still don't get into the school or the program of our choice. We pray, and the cancer returns. We pray, and... But sometimes we pray, and our loved one is healed. We pray, and we do pass our exams. We pray, and the cancer does go into remission. Answers to prayer can seem erratic at worst and idiosyncratic at best. This, for people of faith, can seem all too elusive. What then is the efficacy of prayer? Prayer, they say, may not change the circumstance, but it can change the person praying. Prayer, they say, opens doors that no one can close and closes doors that no one can open. Prayer, they say, allows us to cast our burdens unto God and at least cease from worrying. But if none of these reasons seem to satisfy the question, why pray? The most enduring answer to the question for me is the model established by Jesus the Christ himself. As one writer opines, in the end we pray not only because we're hoping for a certain outcome, and not only because we believe prayer might change us in the midst of bad circumstances, we pray not only because it might give us some peace of mind, we pray simply because Jesus prayed. And the logic is this. If Jesus, who was God, knew that in the flesh 
he had to pray, then how much more ought we to pray being mere humans? Jesus prayed for power. He prayed for protection. He prayed for courage. He prayed for direction. He prayed this for others. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. All night, the scriptures tell us in one passage, he prayed. Prayer, if nothing else, keeps us in sacred communion with God, a God who loves us and cares for us. Similar to our disciplines, other disciplines of the faith, like scripture reading, it allows God to enter and arrest our hearts. I remember pondering once the point of scripture reading, and God spoke very clearly at the time to me that in the word, reading the word was not only about me reading the text, but it was also about the text reading me. It is, after all, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of bone and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In this season of Advent, remember that prayer allows God to commune with us, to read us, if you will, and give us all that we need for the journey ahead. Wisdom, courage, patience, perspective, and every other ingredient found in our true daily bread. Amen. <laughs>